Welcome back to Plastic Surgery Decoded, the podcast where we demystify plastic surgery and unpack it into relatable concepts. I'm your host, Dr. Regina Newhan, and today we're talking about rhinoplasty or nose reshaping. In this episode, we'll discuss what rhinoplasty is all about, including what it can and cannot accomplish. And I'll tell you a couple of small surprises about the nose anatomy. We'll talk about what to expect after surgery, and we'll touch on some non-surgical options as well. Remember that this podcast reflects my experience and my opinion. It is not intended to give formal medical advice, but instead you can use it to gain insight, whether you're actually considering a procedure or you're just curious. So settle in for a listen and enjoy. If you think about it, the nose has always had such a prominent role in our appearance. And why not? It's the most noticed feature on the face. When it's out of balance with the rest of the face or has irregularities in contour, that can be a source of unease for some people. It's natural for us to admire the nose on someone else who is attractive and think, oh, that's the perfect nose. But do realize that part of the attractiveness is in the gestalt, the whole picture, including the underlying facial skeleton and relative proportions. That particular nose, while it looks good on someone else, may look really out of kilter on your own face. Last year, according to the statistics for the American Society of Plastic Surgeons, over 200,000 nose reshaping surgeries were performed. And one out of every four of those cases was on a male. In fact, it's one of the top five cosmetic surgeries that men seem to gravitate towards. But still, three out of every four rhinoplasties was performed on a female. Before we get too far along, allow me to clarify something. In my practice, I have taken plenty of skin cancers and lesions off the nose and then rearranged the skin to close up because, hey, there's not a lot of spare skin in that area, so sometimes you have to get creative to end up making it look good. But that is different than what we mean by rhinoplasty. Rhinoplasty means literally changing the shape of the nose. The word root rhino refers to the nose. I'm sure that's not too surprising. And plasty, again, means to change the shape of something. So rhinoplasty really means reshaping or restructuring the nose. Now, I did rhinoplasties early on in my career, but later chose to scale down my practice a bit and stop doing these because I felt to be really good at them, it's important to do a lot of them. I personally preferred to focus on other aspects of plastic surgery that I enjoyed more. But I have plenty of colleagues who always loved performing rhinoplasties and have excelled at it. They thoroughly enjoy the artistry of it. It is an art, and there's a lot for me to tell you about it. But to give you the appropriate perspective for our discussion today, let's first briefly go over some easy basic anatomy. And here's something you probably didn't realize. Bone does not go all the way down to the nose tip. The ridge of the nose may feel firm, like bone, almost all the way down, but in fact, the bone stops at about a third of the way down the nose, and then the other two-thirds of both the firm and flexible structural support comes from cartilage. And usually any bump or hump that people complain about happens to be at the junction of bone and cartilage or cartilage on cartilage. Now, there are five main pieces of cartilage in the nose. The biggest of these is the septum, and it is situated in the midline, vertically, holding things up, and separating one nasal passage from the other. 
So when you hear people talking about a deviated septum, that means this cartilage has bowed to one side or the other and may be obstructing airflow on one side. And that fleshy vertical column of tissue that you feel at the bottom of the midline nose between the two nasal openings is called the columella. No surprise there. The other four pieces of cartilage are separated into two upper lateral cartilages and two lower lateral cartilages, lateral meaning side. The upper ones are moderately flat and sit angled towards the midline ridge, or what we like to call the dorsum of the nose. Then the two lower lateral cartilages are curved like an upside down V and sit just a little further down from the upper cartilages. You can kind of think of the structure of the nose like a tent. In a tent, you would find an underlying scaffolding made of wood or steel, and then there is an overlying covering of fabric draped over the scaffold. Applying this analogy to the nose, the scaffolding is bone and cartilage, carefully arranged like supporting plates aligned next to and slightly overlapping each other. Then the skin would be the overlying fabric. But here is another interesting fact. The skin of the nose is not quite like that of the rest of the face or the body. Yes, it can be somewhat thinner over the dorsum of the nose, but as you work down to the tip, it becomes thicker and develops what we call a fibrofatty component, meaning there is a thick network of firm fibrous tissue surrounding small collections of fat, and this is what gives the nasal tip and rim its thick and sturdy feeling properties. Interestingly, there is actually no cartilage that goes all the way down to the base of the nasal rims where they attach to the cheek. This is truly just fibrofatty tissue yet it holds its shape. Well, now that we know more about how the nose is structured, what are the most frequent problems people complain about and want to fix? Well, a bump or a hump on the profile view, the width of the dorsum, the shape of the tip, and the size or position of the nostrils. Of course, not everyone has all of these problems. In terms of how to go about addressing these, like so many procedural topics we've discussed in past episodes, the surgical interactions with the nose can be broken down into a series of steps that involve either one of two basic categories, reduction or enhancement, meaning building up. And more commonly, a combination of the two will be found within the same surgical procedure. Now, ideally, we want to minimize scarring, again, because the nose is so visible on the face. Therefore, there are generally two types of incisions that can be made. The first is a closed rhinoplasty technique and involves making incisions only inside the nose, then working somewhat blindly underneath the skin to adjust the nasal scaffold. The alternative is the open rhinoplasty technique, which involves an additional small incision across the columella to allow the skin of the nose to be elevated somewhat and expose the underlying cartilages which can then be worked on under direct visualization. The latter option may be chosen particularly if the surgery is going to be relatively complex. Often the scar across the columella does not end up being very visible at all, though occasionally it can be problematic. But hey, there is almost always something that can be done to improve it, with some good plastic surgeon know-how, of course. Treatment of the dorsum of the nose differs from the treatment of the tip. Starting with the dorsum, to shave down a hump, it's just like what it sounds. Working underneath the skin to avoid external scar, a specially designed surgical chisel can bring this hump back down to a flat level. But that may artificially make the dorsum of the nose seem too wide. 
in order to narrow the dorsum or improve its alignment if it's crooked. Yes, some bones have to be gently broken so that they can be properly repositioned in a more narrow configuration. There are some special careful instruments for this, and the patient is usually asleep, so it's not quite as barbaric as it sounds. The bones do typically heal pretty well in this new position. Now for the tip of the nose. For reshaping, sometimes the cartilages have to be trimmed down, but other times something needs to be added to fill in a depression or contour gap. This is where a graft of some type comes in handy. Grafting means adding to a structure by taking a piece of something from another part of the body where it may not be missed too much and placing it in a new setting. It's kind of like that old saying, robbing Peter to pay Paul. The graft may often be a small piece of cartilage taken from the septum or perhaps borrowed from a hidden area of the ear where it will not be very noticeable. Or it could be a small piece of bone or even foreign material. It takes a lot of finesse to get this just right, and unfortunately sometimes it's unpredictable what the overlying skin will do during the healing phase. Will it stay smooth, or will it contract a little bit and create a contour irregularity? The surgeon does the best they can in terms of setting up the body to heal well, but the rest is indeed up to the patient's body. On average, the surgery takes a couple of hours and is usually performed while the patient is asleep. It's an outpatient surgery typically, so the patient would go home on the same day. But postoperatively, what should someone expect? They will most likely have a custom-shaped external splint over the dorsum of the nose, stabilizing things. It's likely to stay in place for one to two weeks. Caution has to be taken to avoid trauma or bumping of the nose during this early healing period. Nasal packing is often used to help stabilize shape from the inside and control any internal bleeding. It is usually removed the next day on average. No nose blowing is allowed due to concern about starting some bleeding. Similarly, no strenuous activity is allowed for at least a couple of weeks. Black eyes can unfortunately be a common finding a few days after surgery, and this is particularly true if there was some bone work done. Stitches inside the nose are mostly absorbable. Any external stitches on the columella may need to be removed at about a week or so. Of course, there is postoperative pain, but it is manageable with the appropriate medication as instructed by the physician. And patients should be prepared that they may have the sensation of difficult breathing. Mouth breathing may be in order for a while, but if there does happen to be a sudden change in the ability to breathe in general, an urgent phone call to the physician is appropriate. Next, what about healing time? It's long, and that's the short answer. The worst of the swelling improves after a week or two, but the remainder, especially in the nasal tip, lingers for a very long time and may fluctuate throughout the day. Yes, it's that fibrofatty tissue that takes the longest for swelling to leave. In fact, it may not be until six months before someone is really starting to get an idea of what they're going to look like in the future. And truly, full resolution of swelling may take a year or more. Yes, after the first couple of weeks, everything is just a waiting game. We're waiting for swelling to go down, and we are waiting to see how the overlying skin adapts to its new underlying structure. Thin skin over the nasal dorsum can unfortunately show some flaws, particularly if there are minor asymmetries, like there always are, and if the skin starts to form some contractures due to internal or external scar. Internal scar can also create some bowing or curving that may be undesired. 
Each surgeon will give their own individual instructions to the patient about the timing of when it's appropriate to start skin and scar massage in hopes of minimizing scar problems. What about complications? Well, just like any other surgery, there are the standard surgical ones, but specific to nasal surgery are the following potential problems. Bleeding, since the nose has excellent blood supply. Skin numbness, usually temporary. Skin discoloration, often again temporary. Scar problems. Skin breakdown, and the risk of this is worsened by smoking history, so it's considered best to avoid smoking for four weeks prior to and for a few weeks after surgery. Continuing with the list, damage to the septum, chronic breathing problems, a persistent or new asymmetry, and the need for revision. Well, what about revision or repeat rhinoplasty, which has also been labeled secondary rhinoplasty? You might not be surprised to find out that this particular surgery has a higher rate of desire for revision than many other surgeries we do. It's recommended that if there is interest in secondary or revision rhinoplasty, you should wait at least a year in order to be certain of the final results. The secondary surgery will be more complicated and may have higher risk of complications in general. The reason it's more difficult has to do with the quality of skin that's already been operated on, scars and contractures, and blood supply to the skin possibly being impaired by scar tissue. If a secondary surgery is indeed more complicated, it can take longer and therefore probably cost more. And unfortunately, sometimes it can be less successful than the first surgery. This can lead to a downward spiral of trying to chase perfection. And I'm sure you can all think of famous people with disastrous stories about their multiple nose surgeries. Okay, once you've decided to proceed with rhinoplasty, it's generally considered a cosmetic surgery. So it is self-pay for the surgeon's fee, anesthesia, and facility fee. But what about insurance? Many times insurance will cover procedures aimed at improving breathing or function, such as fixing a deviated septum or repositioning broken nasal bones. But alas, they don't typically pay for additional reshaping and restructuring. Before we finish up, let's touch on what less invasive trends are out there. The most popular one is the use of filler to affect the shape of the nose. It involves the art of camouflage, and it is an art. You can add a little bit of fullness to an area surrounding a bump and blend it, and then it becomes less noticeable. That's a nice way to correct some asymmetries as well. Nice, but temporary, and it requires maintenance, though it could be a great way to see if you like the look of a nose with a changed contour. Beyond filler, there are even some reports of threads or other foreign material being introduced under the nasal skin to fill in some areas and disguise asymmetries. It may sound nice, and immediate results can be great, but do be aware of the risk of foreign body reaction, infection, or extrusion, meaning the foreign substance gradually working its way out. Personally, I would be interested in some more long-term outcome data on these ideas before considering. Well, three final thoughts as we come to a close. Like anything else in plastic surgery, if you're going to embark on this journey to change the shape of your nose, please make sure you're doing it for yourself and no one else. You're the one who's going to go through the procedure and recovery, and sometimes results can't be fully predicted. Next, have realistic expectations. The baseline you're starting with will limit your overall potential for change, 
though that being said, a fair amount can still be accomplished. Beware relying too much on computer 3D or morphing programs, which project results that may seem too good to be true. They're pretty cool, but realize it's a lot easier to fix contour problems on the computer than it is surgically. Plus, the computer has no capacity to predict how your skin and tissues are going to heal and respond. Lastly, perfection does not exist. Expect that there will always be some small irregularities. Seek out consultation with a board-certified surgeon who has done a fair number of rhinoplasties and who truly enjoys the artistry. Certainly that does not hold any guarantees of maximizing your successful results, but it's a really good start. Well, that's our show for today. Hope you enjoyed it and learned something too. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review. Please share this podcast with someone else who might be interested. And while you're at it, check out the podcast website for related topics to explore. It's www.plasticsurgerydecoded.com. And as always, thank you for listening to Plastic Surgery Decoded.